morning. I got my table up here. I'm a little under the weather, so if I sit down, it's not necessarily a sign that I am lazy. But I do want to tell you a funny story. Where I grew up in Tennessee, all my friends were rather red around the neck, if you know what I mean, and uh, and rough. And they thought a preacher was a sissy, which is, of course, absolutely not true at all. And one of my friends really told me this. He, uh, I'd been, I'd just become a pastor. And he, uh, he said, yeah, one of my cousins became a pastor, and we just figured it was because he didn't want to work. Give me a little support, like, oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, y'all are a lot of help to the self-esteem. Okay, moving along, hopefully the sermon will go better. How many of you ever heard the old saying, close only counts at hand grenades in the movies? You ever heard that before? Uh coaches used to say, boys, it doesn't matter if we lose by one point or 50, we lost. Now, psychologically and emotionally, getting beat by 50 points is never any fun, but there's truth to that. Uh, To to lose by one point is to lose. If you're not a Christian today, and some of you, you're not a believer yet, and you're close to making that decision, but being close isn't going to count. Some things being close just doesn't matter. Uh, it, it It hand grenades, because a hand grenade, you don't have to hit them with it if you're pretty close, shrapnel will do its damage. And the old saying, close counts at the movies is when, not when you're married, obviously, but when you were dating and you snuggled up at the movies and you were close, it counted. Amen, right? Well, we're going to look in Luke chapter 6 this morning about being close to someone. We're beginning a sermon series this summer called The Weird and Wonderful Ways of Jesus. Jesus' teachings, Jesus' life in many ways is weird to us because it's so counterculture. It goes against what we understand and how we do things. But it's so wonderful because it's always right, it's always perfect, and if you do it, things are going to work out extremely well. So we're in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to talk about getting close to somebody this morning. But let's begin with this. Do you realize this morning how much you need Jesus? I want you to think about that. Do you, do you realize today how much you genuinely need Jesus Christ? Our story begins in verse 17 and 18, and it says, When they, when they came from, down from the mountain, what had happened, Jesus had spent the whole night praying in prayer, And he picked his 12 disciples then. That was a monumental thing. You see the extreme importance of prayer. He picks people that are going to go out and change the world. After he had spent the night, he picks his 12. They come down, uh, and Jesus stood on a large level area surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. They were people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear, hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Now, here's an interesting, it's, a, it's a, not a major thing, but it's an interesting thing. The Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It begins with blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Uh, some scholars believe that this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Other scholars believe that this is Luke's Sermon on the Plain. Matthew had a Sermon on the Mount and... Luke has a sermon on the plain. Now, we have a picture probably in the vicinity where, if it is two different sermons, they happen. This is the Sea of Galilee here, and this is a beautiful mountainside that very likely 
uh, let's say the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came, was up there and he came down. People sat here and he taught. But that's also kind of a level place uh, in here where it could also fill in for it being a sermon on the plain, another sermon. The bottom line is it doesn't matter. I kind of lean toward their two different sermons because we'll see in the days ahead some of the things taught are, are just different uh, uh, than, than what's taught in Matthew. Now, here's another interesting thing. I want you to see a map. And we're going to go back to this map later. It says that, okay, we're going to assume, and I think this is right, they're at the Sea of Galilee. Now, this is Israel and Jesus' day. It's divided into three sections. There's Galilee up here where Jesus grew up. There is Judea down here. And in the middle is their hated enemies, the Samaritans. And this, play, this is taking place almost certainly at the Sea of Galilee. It said people came from Judea, all places in Judea which would have been a long haul from Jerusalem, which is the main city, the capital city, the headquarters of of Judaism. They came up there. Tyre and Sidon are Gentile, non-Jewish areas. They're port cities. That's about 50-something miles from there, a good ways away. And and what I find interesting is you've got a unique group of people. You've got probably very religious people, very religious Jewish people. You've got non-Jewish people. You've got people that are traveling a long, long distance. And why are they traveling a long distance? They understood they needed Jesus. They needed Jesus. They, they, they knew in their heart there was something about this guy and they needed to get close to him. I want to tell you this morning, you need Jesus too. I'm not talking to just people who aren't Christians. I'm talking to all of us. Let me give you two thoughts. One, you need to hear him. You need to hear what he has to say. Verse 18, it's very subtle. Verse 18, it says, they had come to hear him. They'd come to hear him. I I think that's so neat. They knew what they knew, the little they knew about Jesus at this point. They knew he had answers, that he spoke with authority, that he had truth. That, that he had answers for their relationships and their marriage and their money and their sex lives. He had the answers for how to raise kids and how to do life. He had the answers for eternity. They came to hear him. Let me tell you this morning, you need to hear Jesus. You need to hear Jesus. I need to hear Jesus. I'm afraid many of us, our lives are more shaped by Fox News, CNN, and Grandma's opinion than they are by the Word of God. And I'm not against your grandmother, and I'm not against either one of those other things. But I want to tell you, as much as you listen to those things, we need to hear Jesus. And, and, and not only do we need to hear him, let me give you a second thing. We need him to help us in every area of our life, every area of our life. In verse 18, they came to hear him, but also to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. They came for instruction and direction. For, they came for correction and encouragement. But it says people who were physically ill came to Jesus. People who had demons who were, who were controlled and dominated by demonic forces, they knew that Jesus was what they needed. Thousands of people, no question about it. We'll talk later about how hard it was to travel then. Do you realize you need Jesus this morning? Matthew 5, 3 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins with this. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. A little more clearer translation says, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
poor in spirit. Not, not poor in bilfo, poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means, Jesus was saying, happy, fulfilled is going to be the person who realizes that they need God. Do you realize today you need God? Some of you are at the end of a rope, and you realize you need God. I mean, you've got physical problems, you've got family problems, you've got financial problems. Things are, are, are upside down, and, and you're, you're willing to listen this morning. You know you need to hear, and you need God. Others of you, everything is great. This time tomorrow, it could be completely upside down. You need Jesus. You need him in every area of your life. Everybody in here knows who Tiger Woods is. Tiger Woods is arguably one of the greatest golfers ever. I mean, wealthy beyond wealthy. Famous beyond famous. About six years ago, his invincibility burst. Do you remember that? It came out that he was a serial adulterer. He was having multiple, multiple, multiple affairs. His wife divorced him, and that divorce had to cost millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And his golf game has never been the same since. Now, I don't know, obviously don't know where he is spiritually or where he is emotionally. But I know back in 2010, right right after everything happened, he said this in Newsweek magazine. He said, golf by nature is a self-centered game. You're playing, you're playing. Nobody else is, uh, is, is a teammate. It's you against everybody else. He said, I developed a very self-centered nature. Life became about me. I'm the most famous golfer in the world, one of the most famous athletes in the world, and a multimillionaire. I am invincible. He said, my bubble got burst. And I realized that I'm not near the person I thought I was. I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. In fact, I would say this, you don't want that to happen to you. You want to realize you need God before that happens. How many of you are old enough to remember 9-11? When, the, when we were attacked by a Muslim terrorist, September the 11th, 2001, I, I saw this article this week, and it, uh, as I was pastoring then, I was only 12, but I remember it well. The, the September 11th was a Tuesday. And it said on Monday, people were fight, fighting against praying in schools. On Tuesday, you'd have been hard-pressed to find any school where people were not praying. On Monday, people tried to separate each other by race, sex, color, and creed. On Tuesday, everyone was holding hands. On Monday, people fought against having the Ten Commandments on government property. On Tuesday, the same people were saying, God, help us all, and thou shalt not kill. On Monday, people were upset that their dry cleaning was not ready on time. On Tuesday, they were lining up to give blood for the dying. On Monday, the politicians were arguing about budget surplus. On Tuesday, they were praying and holding hands and singing, God bless America. You know, the sad thing is that lasted about two weeks. About two weeks. My church was packed that first Sunday. A month later, it was like it didn't happen. This week, as I was preparing this message, one thing I think God said to me is, is maybe we need to start praying God will get some people's attention. Ooh. Maybe I need to pray that for our church. God, whatever it takes... Short of it being pain on me, Lord, whatever it takes. That's a very dangerous prayer. Help us to realize how much we need you. And I'm not threatening you that I'm going to start praying that on you. But it sure be a good place for us to get to on our own to realize how much we need Jesus. Let me give you a second thing. Do you realize how powerful he is? You see, when we talk about we need Jesus... 
That's awesome. But listen, Jesus can meet the need. Jesus, we don't only need him, he's the answer to what we need. He, he can make it happen. Let me give you two thoughts on that too. Jesus' words are the word of God. His words are the words of God. When Jesus speaks, the Bible speaks. When God speaks, Jesus speaks. In verse 18, they said they had come to hear him because they knew Jesus had the word of God. Let me, let me challenge you this morning. Let me challenge you. You read your Bible as much as you can. You be in church. Look, church doesn't need to be optional. You, you come to church and build everything else around that. It'd change your world. You get in a Bible study group. You pour the word of God into your life because the words of Jesus are powerful. They're the words of life. We don't just need to hear him because he's got some motivational things to say. We need to hear him because he's perfect and exactly right in everything that he says. Let me give you a second thing. His power is unlimited. I said to you earlier, you need to come to Jesus. I'm going to continue to challenge you that over the next few minutes. You need to get as close to Jesus as you can. When you get close to Jesus, folks, you're getting close to the source. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out and for, from him, and he healed everyone. Wow. Isn't that awesome? I don't know what your problem is today. I don't know what your issue is, your hurt or your pain, but I'm telling you the truth, Jesus can help you with it. He may heal you. He may make it disappear. He may make everything great, or he may give you victory in the middle of the mess. But I want to tell you, whatever it is, how many sharks are in the water, Jesus is a shark killer. Amen? So, When I tell you we need to touch Jesus in just a moment, you're not touching a good guy. You're touching God. When you need to get close to Jesus, you're getting close to God. And his words are the word of God. His power is the power of God. So I want to ask you one last question. Will you do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus this morning? Will you do whatever it takes to get close to Jesus? Let's look at verse 17 again. Give it a little more thought. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. Again, probably thousands. There were people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Let's look at our map again, Brian. Okay, Jerusalem is right here. Jerusalem is 70 miles from the Sea of Galilee, 70 miles. It's, it's, as far as the, an airplane flight, it's 124 miles to Sidon, to Jerusalem. Now, people were coming probably from, from farther south than Jerusalem. This is about 53 miles from the Sea of Galilee. So you got people walking 70, probably 80, 90 miles to get to see Jesus. Now, let me repeat that. Did you hear me say walking? Okay, let, let's say, let me ask you this. If you heard that Jesus, literally in the flesh, was at the Pecan Land Mall, and he was going to be there at 2 today, how many of you would get there? You'd be crazy. Well, I'm busy this afternoon. Of course you would. How many of you would jog? 
We'd get in our car, turn the air conditioner on, turn the radio on, and we would cruise over there while the kids sat in the back seat watching videos, right? Hey, when they said, we're going to go 70 miles, you know what that meant? Mama might be sitting on a donkey, but Daddy was walking. And if you had kids, a lot of you got kids, you understand this. Can you imagine starting tomorrow with your family walking to Shreveport? Everyone would be dead by Arcadia, wouldn't they? <laughs> they, at best, they would walk about 20 miles, 20 miles a day. And that's if their Nikes were holding out good. Okay, so you're from Jerusalem? You got three days of hiking. So then you pull into Holiday and Express because if you stay there, everything's great, right? No, you sleep in a tent in the desert. And if you're going to bathe, it's in a, a creek or a pond. And if, I'm going to go in details. If you're going to go to the restroom, they don't have porta potties on the, in the desert. I mean, you, you get the picture. It's rough. And they couldn't Google map, where is Jesus? Sea of Galilee, what do we need to do? They couldn't call. I mean, the best thing they could do was just find out by word of mouth where he was and then head out in that direction. And think about this. All those people, all those people were willing to do whatever it took to get close to Jesus. And you just said you would too if you knew he was at the Pecan Land Mall, and I absolutely believe you. But let me tell you, let me throw you a little curve. For us, it's about spiritual proximity. It's not about geographical proximity. And in some ways, it's easier this way because I don't have to get my wife and walk for three days to get to Jesus. But in some ways, it's a lot harder because this demands my heart. It demands a surrender. I want to ask you this, this, this morning, do you want to touch Jesus and be touched by Jesus? He's in this room. The Holy Spirit is in this room. The Spirit of God is in this room. The Spirit of Christ is in this room. Jesus is in this room. You can touch and be touched by God today. How's that going to happen? I want to give you three things, three places that, that you're, everybody in here is in one of these three places. Number one, you need to give your life to Christ. It's salvation. Some of you have danced with Jesus, you've flirted with Jesus, but you've never reached out and given your life to Christ. The cool thing is, is to get saved today, you don't have to walk. You don't have to walk to Homer. But here's how it may be harder. You've got to surrender your heart. You've got to repent. You've got to say, Jesus, I'm not going to do it on my terms anymore. I'm going to do it on your terms. And see, many of us would rather hike than do that. If you're not a Christian, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Surrender your life, repent today, and be touched by Jesus. Many of us here today are believers, but we're not where we once were with Christ. We're not close to him like we once were. We don't have the relationship that we once had with him. We need to come back to Christ. James 4, 8, the first part of it is one of my favorite verses. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Now, did you hear that? If that doesn't excite you, seriously, I don't think you're a Christian. Because if you're a Christian and the Bible says that you can be close to God, that ought to fire you stinking up. That ought to motivate you. 
that I can be close to the creator of the universe. It's the last part of the verse that I don't like. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Jesus threw us a curve there, didn't he? Verse 9 and 10, it doesn't get better. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. You see, many of us here today are Christians, and we're not as close to God as we once were. And God's not the problem. It's us. And yeah, we would drive to the Pecanland Mall. We would drive to Houston tonight to see Jesus in person. You got him right here. But to be close to Jesus, he's he's wanting that. He's just wanting you to reach out and take him. But you can't do it on your terms. You can't say, well, you know what? Man, I want to be close to Jesus, but I'm just going to continue to have sex with my girlfriend or boyfriend. All right, I'm going to be close to Jesus. I'm not talking about making mistakes. I'm talking about lifestyles. I'm going to be close to Jesus, but I'm going to cheat on my wife. I'll be close to Jesus. He's not touching my billfold. He doesn't have my time. I've got to do things on his terms. Britney Spears is well-known, I'm sure, by all of you. Back, this was several years ago, when she was catching a lot of rancor for some of her not-so-Christian dance moves. Uh, Would y'all agree with that? I I mean, I'm not trying to judge her, but would you think that's accurate, possibly? Okay, none of you know who Britney Spears are. That just blows me away. Okay. Pure as the driven snow in this room, huh? How many of you remember Dr. Ruth? You, you recognize that name? Dr. Ruth. That's how she talked like, like I talked this morning. Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth was a sex therapist. And the elevator, in my opinion, just my opinion, didn't fully get to the top sometimes. Here's what Dr. Ruth said about Britney Spears when Britney was doing some things that were kind of uh, vulgar. She said, well, that's okay for her to do that on stage because that's not who she really is. And you can perform like that as long as your heart's right, everything's good. And the Greek word for that is baloney. But we do that, don't we? Hey, man, my heart's right, but, but I'm a scoundrel. I can't be close to God on my terms. This isn't about perfection, it's about direction. But I have to decide that I'm going to wash my hands and clean up my life. And I'm going to do what I need to do to be close to God. It's on his terms. I don't want you to raise your hands, but I know there's people in here today who would say, I've been closer to God in the past. That is the definition of backsliding. We think a backslider is somebody who was a a deacon and they're in jail today because they've been on a six-month drunk. Well, that's probably a backslider at the very least. But a backslider can be somebody who's in church every Sunday and who's morally good. If you've ever been closer to God than you are right now, you've backslidden. There's an old story, but, but it illustrates it well of a, an old farmer and his wife. They'd been married 50 years. Every Saturday, they would get in their truck. They would ride around and look at cows and look at their pond and all that. And she noticed one day, she's sitting against the door. He's sitting, you know, he's driving. And she says to him, I, I, we don't sit close like we used to. We used to snuggle up and be close together. And in his old farmer wisdom, he smiled at her and said, I hadn't moved. (laughs) You say this morning that God seems distant. God hadn't moved. God's not moved. You Christian, you need a fresh touch for God. 
You do it on his terms, but you come to him. You do whatever you have to do, get rid of whatever you have to get rid of, and you come back to him. Let me give you a third thing. And this is for, for a lot of Christians here today, too. You just need to continue to live close to him. You know, again, as I was working on this sermon this week, I really felt like God said to me, he said, I want you to just get as close and stay as close to me as you can all the time. By the way, I think he tries to tell me and all of us that every day. So some of you go, you know, I'm not far from God. I'm in a, I'm in a good place with God. That's great. You can never get too close to God. It's, it's, it's inexhaustible. And let me tell you this last thing. When you get close to Jesus, you're going to find what you need. You're going to find what you really need, not what you think you need, not what you hope you need, but what you really need. Verse 18, it says, they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now, the word heals used four times in these two verses, but they're different Bible words. The word healed, this first word, we get our English word. This is neat therapy from it, therapy. They came to Jesus for therapy. It can be medical healing. It can be attention and caring or service. In verse 19, it says, Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and healed everyone who touched him. Wow. Here's the ramifications for for you and me. This isn't for the super saint. This isn't for the chosen frozen. Whoever touched Jesus was healed. This is for you. You go, well, my life's a mess. Jesus is a mess expert. He loves messes because we're all a mess. Is your family dysfunctional? Absolutely. Everybody's family's dysfunctional. Adam and Eve, my goodness, their, their sons killed each other. Every family's dysfunctional. Everyone who touched him was healed. That's available for you this morning. That's available for you to get close to Christ. And it's interesting, the word touch there, it literally means to be impacted, either to impact the one you're touching, like you spank someone, or to be impacted by what you touch, like you touch a hot stove and you're impacted by it. And those who touched Jesus were changed. Do you want to get close to Christ this morning? Philip Yancey's a Christian writer. And Yancey was asked about, and this is neat and it's also sad, that God is really uh, moving in South America and in Africa right now. I mean, when I say moving, churches being started, people being saved, just a, a great work of God in those areas. That's not happening in Europe, a lot of places in Europe, and it's not happening in North America. And Yancey was asked, why is God moving there and not here? Here's what he said. He said, I reckon God goes where he's wanted. First Baptist, is he wanted here? Is he wanted in your life? It's got to be on his terms. But it'll transform you forever if you let him. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, we're going to challenge you more in a moment in your relationship with Christ. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian and you're ready to cross that line with him, would you pray with me today where you are?
Would you pray with me if you're ready and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and rose for me. Come into my heart. And I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart or you're ready to do that. Today's the day. Reach out and touch him. His hand's reaching for you. You just got to come to him. Will you do it? Come in a moment. Let us help you with that decision. Maybe you're here today and you're looking for a church to join. We would love for you to join this church if God's leading you to. Being in the church is part of that closeness to Christ. It'll help with that. You can come when, when we give the invitation in a moment or you can catch me or one of the ministers after church and join. We would love for you to. Christian, maybe, maybe you're not far from God. You just Where you're standing or at the altar, you just need to say to Jesus, I want more and more and more of you. Man, do that. Christian, maybe you're not where you need to be. I want to challenge you where you're standing or praying with a minister at the altar. You do whatever you have to do to get back within touch of Jesus. Let's stand. And as we sing, you come.